City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the All Hornets Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Plyright, a.k.a. The British Buzz. Uh, this isn't a stinger. This isn't the draft show. This isn't Hornets and Heartbreak. I don't really have a name for what this podcast is yet. Uh, if someone can think of a funky name for a podcast, that'd be great. But it is August, and I'm joined this week by contributor for the All Hornets website, Eric Barnes. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, James. Uh, you know, nice day out here in Eastern North Carolina. Uh, hope hey, hope things are nice your way, and uh, just ready to get into some Hornets talk. Yeah, absolutely. And even though it's August, we want to uh, talk about a range of topics today. So we're going to give a little update on the Bridges situation. We're going to touch on some of our initial thoughts from some of the questions of the fan survey, which I ran this week, which was uh, amazing uh, engagement from Hornets fans on that. I think over 670 responses, which was way more than I thought it was going to be. And then we're going to take a little bit of a long-term approach. You know, we're in the off-season. We can look forward here and look at what sort of players do we want to surround the Mellow Ball with, who is undoubtedly the face of the franchise going forward. Um, but before we get into all about that, Eric, um, to the listeners, you're a, you're a new voice and this is your first ever podcast. I'm... I'm Happy to take you on the journey here. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what, what do the listeners need to know? Yeah, I mean, for me, Eric, my name's Eric Barnes. I grew up in North Carolina, small town in North Carolina. I've been following Carolina sports my whole life. Uh, went to East Carolina University, graduated from there, go Pirates. Um, but yeah, just taking it day by day. You know, I follow the Hornets religiously, and now I'm looking to get a little deeper and, and um, you know, just – be on the beat and, you know, see how things go. Absolutely. And it's, it's great to have you on board this year for the All Hornets website. And we're really looking forward to having you part of the team and some of the articles you've got coming out. Um, but to, to help the fans get to know you even a little bit better, I've got a quick 
uh, a very quick hitting kind of six or seven questions that I'm going to ask you, which I've not All prepped right. you for. This is this is out the blue for you. You did you did your prep today, Eric. You didn't prep for this. Um, <laughs> it should hopefully just be one word answers, and they should be okay. nice and quick. So just say the first thing that comes into your head. So we're, we're going to get to know Eric a little bit better here. So are you ready? Let's do it. Hopefully, I don't get myself in trouble here, but let's do it. Okay. Favorite sports outside the NBA? I uh, got to go football, NFL football. Do you have a team? Oh, yeah. Carolina Panthers. Popular Carolina choice. Panthers. Uh, favorite food? Favorite food. The first thing that came to mind would be spaghetti, which is kind of basic, but I love all the food. But, you know, off the top of the head, we'll go with spaghetti there. Sporting hero? What do you say, Peyton Manning? The way he went about his business, you know, so detailed, all that. Peyton Manning, we'll, we'll roll with him. And favorite holiday destination? Holiday destination. July 4th, which, you know, a little bit different for you, uh, you know, over there, you know, across the pond. But July 4th, being on a lake, you know, can't be being on a boat, uh, on a lake, July 4th here in America. This is an important question. Are you are you a fisherman? Um, I wouldn't consider myself like, you know, over the top, like all the way into it. But where I grew up, I had a pond in my backyard. Used to go fishing out there all the time. I uh, have caught the biggest bass in that pond's history, about six, seven pounds. So, I mean, I've got a little bit of experience, but I wouldn't consider myself, you know, a fanatic or anything like that. When I was a kid, I dreamt of having a place where I could fish in the garden. So that sounds amazing. And a six pound bass, pretty, pretty good going for that lake. So. Yeah. Fishing talk is always welcome on this podcast, as I'm a keen angler. Um, and then last, lastly, most important of all, uh, pineapple on a pizza, yes or no? I've got no problems against pineapple on pizza. You know, mm. people that like it, they can do that. You know, I don't judge. If you like pineapple, that's your prerogative, you know? Yeah, I have a similar, this is normally like a hate, like Marmite thing. I, I, do you even know what Marmite is? Do you have Marmite in the U.S.? Marmite? Uh... At least me personally, I don't know what it no, is. No, okay. I can't, I can't speak for our listeners. So. I, I can't even describe what Marmite is. Google it. Um, in, in England, we have a phrase that if some something is like Marmite, because Marmite is a, a spread that you put on normally bread or toast, and um, right. you either love it or hate it. That's like the rule with Marmite. Um, so you, you normally, the, the saying is pineapple and peaches like Marmite. You love it or hate right. it. But we seem right. to both have a pretty neutral view. Like I'm, I'm okay with pineapple and pizza. It's all good. Um, but okay, well, that's good. That, that worked well. Carolina Panthers fan, good to know. I'm, I'm early in a, my Carolina Panther fandom as kind of slowly adopting NFL football fan over the last couple of years. But oh, hopefully... It's, it's so good. And I know America is like just on a totally different level with football, right, than the rest of the world. But uh, we're all obsessed with it over here. I mean, it, it's, it's awesome. But, you know, NBA, love the NBA too. Okay, and... Now we're done with intros. I just want to remind our listeners um, that we both write for the SI All Hornets website, and you should definitely go out and check out that website. If you type in SI All Hornets, you'll be able to go on there. And we normally have whew, two to three articles a day, even in August, which is saying something. So we are looking to become the number one source for All Hornets content. So make sure you go check out our, our podcast there, our articles there. Uh, I'll have part two of my survey dropping later this week, which should be interesting. By the time I listen to this, it might already be out. Um, let's also make sure to rate and review the podcast. If you've made it this far, um, please drop us a five-star review. That'd be great. Any kind words would also be very welcome. It just helps us in our podcast standings and 
We launched this podcast network in May. So we're really still getting it kind of off the ground. Uh, the feedback's been great so far, but, but every rating and review definitely helps. So with that said, let's move on to our first topic, which is more of a news item is Miles Bridges, which he had uh, a, a hearing of some sort. We don't quite know what it was. I think it was August 19th, I want to say. And all we essentially got out of that was confirmation that Miles Bridges now has a preliminary trial in California on the 7th of September, which is about two to three weeks before the start of training camp. Um, I guess, Eric, I, I'm not asking for your, your hot takes in the Miles Bridges right. situation, right. but in terms of knowing now that we've got the preliminary hearing in September, was that kind of sooner or later than you were thinking when, when kind of this all kicked off? Well, you know, when the news first dropped, obviously you would prefer, you know, a solution as soon as possible. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's just not how the world works. Um, at this point, the Hornets, you know, you, you just got to go with the schedule and kind of see how it plays out. And it seems like, you know, that's what they're doing, sitting back and see how it plays out. And that way uh, you can gather all the information you need to get to the best decision possible for your organization. Yeah, I think. September 7th like, is relatively soon. And I do think it's good news that before training camp, they should have a further idea. You know, and anything that can get resolved, the earlier the better with this. Um, this the, you just don't want this saga hanging over the team forever. Like with all the press will be asking what's going on. It's the, the elephant in the room for the players, for the coaches. So... Well, I just think once once there's certainty and a line draw into it, that, that will just be better for everybody. Yeah. And not only hanging over the team, but hanging over the fan base too. You know, before this news dropped, you know, the entire fan base was, oh, we want to win 50 games this year. Let's make some big moves. And then this news dropped, and it's just like, you know, most people don't think we're going to win more than, you know, 35 games. I think the over-under is thir at 38 right now. So definitely a dark cloud hanging over the organization. You know, hopefully, you know, we can – come to a conclusion and move forward. Okay. I'm moving on from our news item. We're going to touch on our first segment, which is looking at some of the questions in the fan survey that I did. So as I mentioned already, it's on allhornets.com. If you just Google fan survey part one, you'll, I'm sure it'll come up as the first result. Um, the first question I want to look at for us to discuss is how confident are you in GM Mitch Kupchak? Um, and I want to know, how did you answer that question, Eric? Where would you be scoring? If, if one is kind of least confidence or no confidence, five is max confidence, where are you in that scale? Let me preface this by saying I tend to be a little bit optimistic, right? Um, but for me, looking at all the moves he's made since he's been the GM, at the minimum, I'm going four, if not five. And, and I can explain why. Um, if you look at what he's done, just very savvy moves, you know, you look at the draft every year, you know, when the NBA right now, for example, they're throwing around draft picks, like, you know, they're quarters basically. But, and the reason they do that is because the, the historical hit rate during the draft really isn't, you know, all that high. But if you look at what Mitch Kupchak's done with his first round picks with Bridges, uh, PJ, obviously LaMelo Ball, and, you know, really where he's making, you know, hey, yeah, is in the second round. Guys like Jalen McDaniels, Cody Martin. Um, now you got guys like Bryce McGowan. And, and, you know, hopefully they do well. But um, the way he's hit on the draft, I just feel like that's something that's very rarely done in the NBA. Um, and really what you want to do, get that young talent in there, groom them, 
And, and I think he he's done a great job there. And also, you know, not not going all in too soon. You know, I think a lot of fans, you know, they're ready to make that big splash. I'm sure a lot of people listening out there would love to have Donovan Mitchell on our roster right now. And he could be a great piece. But for me, it's something when you have a young roster like we've got, you got to exercise a little bit of patience and, um, you know, and then wait for that right moment to strike. Because just because one player is available doesn't mean he's the right player for your franchise or your locker room or your roster. So I, for me, he falls four to five for me. So this is going to be one that we disagree on from the off. Um, I think I voted for a three. And I was torn between a two and a three. And for, for me, you, you mentioned about the draft success. And I would agree with you for his, for 2019, for 2020, I, 100%. Like the, the second round finds, the first round picks, even the Miles Bridges selection, say what, what it, you might, might will now, how it looks. Um, you could maybe flag that there was some character concerns uh, the team should have seen then, but in terms from a talent basis, looks looks solid along with the other selections you mentioned. The 2021 draft is where I think you start to to maybe make some questions there, where they went all in on that draft, really. Like, yeah. you remember Kupchak saying that they had, uh, like, several offers for that pick that they ended up using James Bucknight for. They traded a future first to select Kai Jones. And if you look at those players, like, between 11 and 20 now in that draft, you could argue that James Booknight and Kai Jones, their stock is probably the lowest of the 10 to 20 players. And they were taken, both taken before that, and a future first was used. So what what's your level of concern with that 21 draft? And you, you can throw JT Thor in there as well, by the way, and, and Scott Lewis, if you want. Do you have a level of concern that that could be one, one of the misses there? Yeah, I mean, to that point, it's definitely a valid concern. I mean, obviously the first year for Book Knight, you know, for anyone that's followed the Hornets, we all know he had his issues in the first year. Kai Jones was always going to be a project uh, in my mind and, you know, for most people out there, right? So for Kai Jones, it's really an incomplete at this point grade. Um, and then it, for me, look, taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, you know, when he started in 18, 19, 20, we didn't have as much talent on the roster then. Uh, so when we drafted guys, there was more of a pathway for them to come in and, you know, get playing time, get on the court, which helps them develop. And then that way as fans, we can kind of judge for ourselves, you know, how they're doing it's this point. year. When you have a log jam of guys like LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, uh, Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre, Cody Martin. Um, and then down low, you've got PJ Washington, Miles Bridges. Um, they're just not really a pathway to playing time especially for a team that was their goal was to make the playoffs, which is what Mitch Kupchak said before the season. Um, so to answer your question, I definitely get the concern and it could continue to go that way. Uh, but we see it often in the NBA where the first year or two players say they just don't live up to their draft stock. Uh, a guy that comes in my head is like Victor Oladipo. I think he was drafted, was it to the Magic? And then he got traded to the Thunder and he really didn't start coming into, into his own until he got to the Pacers. Maybe it was a little on the thunder, but the Pacers is really when he took that next step. Um, so in the NBA, to me, on really not just that draft, but any draft, you kind of got to wait three, four, five years before you can accurately grade it. But your concerns are valid. I mean, obviously their rookie years didn't go as you would hope. Now, a couple of other things that I want to throw at you to see if I can if I can sway you at all with your vote. 
Okay. Um, the James Borrego extension to then fire him 12 months later. Right. Right. That That's a, a strange one. Um, him having going into last season with Mason Plumley being the starting center, which I think a lot of people felt either via trade or via a free agency that the team could have addressed. And you talked about not going all in and being patient. Um, I, I, I do agree there has been times where they, they have shown a strength, but then I just circle back to the Gordon Hayward signing, right. which for me was the strangest timing of signing kind of of the last like three years, um, really. So looking back, do you think that the Hayward was a bit of a, a short-sighted move that maybe they would take back now? Or do, or do you think they would still, if they could go back, take that same risk? And obviously we have to remember with that, comes the stretching Nick Batum, which right. is still on the books for this one last season. Then we get to, then we get to move on from Nick Batum, the haunting of Nick Batum. Um, so what do you say for kind of those those issues there that I put forward as potential worries of Cup Chat, which I feel like somewhat been glazed over by a large portion of the fan base? Right. Um, Gordon Hayward, right? So the summer we signed him. Um, you know, that was the year that we drafted LaMelo Ball, right? Um, and I know he got in. I remember way back when, when he was originally a restricted free agent, MJ brought him in. They signed him to an offer sheet. And, of course, he ended up, you know, Utah ended up matching. Um, when we gave out a contract, obviously, you know, it was a little bit of an overpay. The reports were that's kind of why he he ended up coming to the Hornets. Um The reason to, that I would agree with you in this scenario with Gordon Hayward is – when you're trying to build, you know, kind of from scratch, and that's kind of where we were at at that time, a lot of times in the NBA you want to bottom out, kind of like what Sam Presti is doing in OKC. So that's where I would agree with you. Um, on the on the flip side, where I would say, you know, maybe it made some sense. I told you I tend to be a little bit optimistic, maybe a little more than others. Um, realistically, at that time, what were we going to do with that cap space? We don't have – players of Gordon Hayward's, you know, caliber that are really ready to come in and play for Charlotte at any given moment, you know, they're not lining up. Um, so my thinking, the reason to do it is because when you get a chance to get a player that's been an all-star, you know, a six, eight wing, which is, you know, probably the most sought after position in the NBA, you go get it. But there are definitely downfalls to it. I mean, obviously you had the injury history. So, you, at the beginning of all that, you said, well, let's see if, if uh, you can talk me into maybe coming more to your two to three. I said four to five. I'll just lock in at a four. You talk me into the four. Okay, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take locking you in at a four. And um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I voted a three, which was the most popular uh, result in this. I think the three had 40% of the votes. The four had 33% of the votes. Um so we seem to be in the majority in, in and around that kind of zone. Like he's probably not been like, if you compare him to previous Hornets GMs, <laughs> like Rich right. Cho and Rod Higgins, he's been really good. Uh, yeah. But th there's still been things that you look up along the way and you go, that, and it's, this isn't just revisionist history. It's not like, oh, he picked the wrong guy there. These are things that sometimes in the moment you went, huh, that's strange that they've done that right there and then. And it's kind of clear for people to see. And I will tell you something going off that point where at one point where I was kind of like, huh, like a, a transaction we made where I wasn't the, the biggest fan of it. Of course, I tried to talk myself into it, but 
going into last year, you know, Terry's going into his last year, then he's coming off the books. You know, you signed me that three-year deal. You got to get a great return on investment, I would say, on that initial deal. When you extend him out, now he's, what, through under contract through 25-26, and you just drafted James Booknight 11th overall, uh, you know, in the lottery. And he was kind of, when you draft him, that's kind of the mind of, well, you know, he's going to be our shooting guard of the future. Now, granted, you don't know how rookies turn out, right? And obviously Terry's a leader of the team. But that is one where it's just like, I don't know if I would want to lock that much money up long term. Now, granted, the way the NBA is, you know, contracts or trade chips. So maybe at some point that's what it becomes. But during that moment, I wasn't the biggest fan of um, of re-signing Terry long term at that point. But, you know, he, he's definitely played a, a pretty good role here in Charlotte, you know, since he's been here. The the one thing I will defend the Terry Rozier contract with, and this is hard to see now, but you people fans will understand in the long run, is the cap is going to go up significantly Correct. with Correct. the new TV money, and Rozier's contract now runs so long that by the by the years four and five, the yeah. salary cap should be so much higher that actually he should that that contracts have age better than maybe other five-year contracts maybe some that are kind of running out al horford's which is now and I, I know al horford was like the best game in some nba finals games but generally um right. that that contract doesn't look great but i think the rosier one could hopefully age better but we're going to touch on this later but how does he fit with lamella ball long term and and is is that the right fit so um yeah i i think you're you're right with that that rosier question mark um I mean, the other thing I maybe wonder is the the organization maybe wasn't thrilled with what they saw from James Bucknight in the in the kind of month and a bit yeah. after drafting him, seeing him in summer league, seeing him in training camp, and going, uh, "This this guy isn't jumping off the page to us. We don't want to lose Terry Rozier and just have James Bucknight left on the roster next month next year." So, yeah, uh, unlikely because they I think they did the Terry Rozier extension in August, and I don't imagine they'd have made any kind of assumptions just yet, but might have just played into the thinking. Okay, moving on. How confident are you in owner Michael Jordan? Um, how, I, I'll get excited with this one. You went, you went first last time. I'll kick us off. Good. You said you're an optimist, right? That's right. Well, uh, I hope your optimism can, can sway me. I scored it on one. <laughs> <laughs> I, sco I scored it a one out of five. Um, and I think the most popular answer here was 35% of people scored a two, 27% scored a three. <laughs> Only 17% of fans essentially think he's have like above neutral confidence in Michael Jordan, which is most owners in the NBA have, have none of them are generally kind of massive fans, uh, have great supporters in their fan base and people always criticize owners. But the reason I scored it so low was I think it's still apparent that Michael Jordan is quite a big player in basketball decisions. I think the organization and maybe his agent and his PR team have got much better at kind of distancing stuff from it. But when you hear about Gordon Hayward, when he signed, when you hear about uh, draft night and you see kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff that the Hornets do, Michael Jordan is someone who is there in the meetings. He is involved and He's not just there witnessing like, as a witness. He is actively involved in the discussions. Um, and we've seen now, we have a good track record of Michael Jordan with his time with Washington, his time in Charlotte as GM. And he is not a 
proved to be a successful kind of basketball strategy personnel decision maker. And I think as long as Michael Jordan is in town, there will be a limit on what this team spends on their own staff. And he will always have input that will stop this team from botting him out and doing the OKC route. will probably stop this team from paying the tax and really paying the money like the Warriors have been doing recently to, to put a team out. And maybe that's not, you know, maybe you look across the NBA and it's unfair to try and judge an owner by that. And in Charlotte, is that ever really going to happen in this sort of market? But I, I have very low confidence that it will happen while Jordan is the owner. So that's my piece. What are your What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's tough to argue with it, right? I mean, all the all the reports that come out over the years, whether it's you know from from reporters or players, the stories you hear, um, and then also just the the history of the team in the last two decades. I mean. We're not hanging. We haven't hung any banners, you know. So I mean, and and that's obviously saying it nicely. Um, for me, when I graded it, and again, this is an optimist, right? Uh, I gave him a C plus, and I, I try to, you know, at the end of this, I'll, I'll go into some ways where you know I kind of spin it the, the good way, right? Please yeah, do. So, I need I need positivity. Throw it throw it at me. <laughs> well, to me, I mean. For starters, kind of what you were touching on, you know, the reports that come out, he's not really willing to pay, you know, his staff. He doesn't want to invest a ton into that. Um, that could have played a role with Kenny Axon. I have no idea for the record, but, you know, you kind of hear it's some been speculated on. That's been speculated right. on across the NBA that that could have been a, a potential reason Atkinson backed out, that he wasn't getting the staff that he was wanting. Uh, which is the one thing I will say about this, which is really interesting is when the Charlotte Hornets announced their coaching staff for this upcoming season, I, I've not counted it recently, but there were 10 assistant coaches on there, which the Hornets have never, ever had 10 assistant coaches yeah. in ever. Well, maybe uh, he took that personally, you know? Well, well, <laughs> we, we know he does that. <laughs> we know he does that. Um, so that, that's one thing I will say, like 10 assistant coaches seems to be a lot. And may, maybe that goes some way to debunk that that argument that's been thrown out there, but it was speculated about some, you know, well-sourced reporters uh, in the NBA. Right. Um, kind of just elaborating further on that, uh, you know, me trying to spin it positively. Right. So, I mean, if you think back to Kimball Walker, Kimball Walker was the Charlotte Hornets for a decade. And when it came that time to give him that contract, we didn't give him that contract. Some people could say MJ was being cheap. But if you look back on the history and how things played out, it worked out very well for, for the Hornets to not pay him. Um, now we have a mellow ball. You got Terry Rozier kind of in that deal, you know, that sign and trade deal um, that went down. Um, so that was a instance where, you know, a lot of the media was killing Michael Jordan. Oh, Kimball Walker is the Charlotte Hornets. You know, you can't put a team around him. And, you know, those are valid you know, concerns. I, I can't really – you know, combat that too much. But if we would have paid them where we sit today, we would be in a worse situation or the Charlotte Hornets would be in a worse situation than where they are right now. Um, and then my last kind of spin, my optimist spin on it with MJ is just, you know, if you watched uh, the last dance documentary, which I imagine, you know, a lot of people out there did, um, he has that kind of win at all cost mentality. When I think about it, 
you know, at least me as a kind of a fan, kind of originating, trying to, to hope that one day maybe we can reach that mountaintop. Maybe he just looks at the roster and he's like, these guys just aren't ready, you know, and we don't have the talent. I'm not going to spend all this money and go all in to finish, you know, as a sixth or seventh seed. And, and in a way that makes sense because it doesn't lock you up with contracts and different stuff like that. But I also get the fan that says, hey, well, you don't know if you don't go after it. So, I mean, you're kind of straddling the line there, but obviously he he's far from the best owner in the NBA at this point, but really just got to continue to bring in talent. Uh, to the roster to me at the end of the day in the NBA you got to get your stars if you don't have two three stars and great role players around them it doesn't matter who the owner is who the coach is I mean you're not gonna have a chance that's just the way the NBA works the terrorism trade looking back is is interesting mm-hmm. because you look back now and the way Kemba's career played out with injuries and inconsistent play even when he was healthy the way Terry was there, there was, he was signed to be a point guard. Then they realized the Ponte Graham broke out and they realized actually he can be a great shooting card. And he's now one of the best catch and shoot players in the literally legitimately in the NBA in terms of high volume from the guard position. Um, however, I, I do think that still papers over a little bit of a crack in terms of what the actual basketball strategy there. If you're trading away Kemba Walker, why are you bringing back someone who can essentially like win you games? Because Terrazier did help that team this year. He was he wasn't the starting point guard that people thought, but he helped that team. And yeah, they ended up finishing, I think, with like the ninth odds in the lottery. And they got lucky, right? They got lucky yeah. and moved up for the Mallow Ball. If they didn't get lucky, this is who was drafted between seven and eleven in that draft. Killian Hayes, Obi Toppin. Denny Avdia, Jalen Smith, Devin Vassell, and Tyrese Halliburton was at 12. Right. Obviously, Halliburton looks a great player, but the rest of those guys are question marks. And like for me, you let Kemba go, you bought him out. You don't don't go signing Terrazier. Terrazier helps team. He helps the team win three, four, five games. And they did that and they got lucky anyway. And you can say basketball gods rewarded Charlotte, but I still think that the Terrazier, it's worked out. It's worked out well. But if you played that over 100 times, I I don't know if it works out anywhere as well as it has done with the Hornets ending up with the Mellow Ball at number three overall. Yeah, I mean, and right there, I, I 100% agree with you right there. Um, I think that is one of the biggest things I'd point to MJ where, you know, I, I haven't loved his actions. He wants to compete so bad, it seems. He just can't get himself to bottom out. And you saw that, you know, I mentioned the last dance earlier. That was kind of alluded to in there, you know, his issues with the GM. No, I don't want to do that. We got to go all in. And when his roster is not good enough, it's like he's making these acquisitions for, you know, pretty good players. But if you really want to get to the promised land, I mean, there's a couple ways to do that in the NBA. You can either be the Los Angeles Lakers and be a great, you know, free agent market to get them to come in. Or you have to build to the draft. And trying to build through the draft with the 11th, 12th pick, surely not the best plan, you know, or scheme, at least in my mind. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of We've people. We've got 15 years of evidence of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the Hornets having the 11th pick for whatever seems like four or five times, like we, we've seen it. It's yeah. very, very difficult to do. Um, I, one last thing on Jordan. Can we please get an interview at some point in the next, I don't know, five years? I, I don't feel like I've heard Mike Jordan speak 
to the media since the Hornets announced that they were coming back. He just is completely shut off from the media, which I'm, I'm sure he liked. Like, you've seen the last dance. He's not a fan of media reporters. But right. come on, man. Like, you you owe it to the the fans to at least do one appearance a year. We're not yeah. we're not asking for you to be Mark Cuban and have like a weekly phone call show with local radio. We're just asking for like once a year we get to speak to you, man. So that's my that's my rant on Jordan's media access over. Um <laughs> let's move on to our last question. Steve okay. Clifford. How confident are you in head coach Steve Clifford? Uh Steve I'll let you go first. Clifford. How how did you answer this one? Well, it's been well documented so far. I, I, you know, I'm kind of spinning things, you know, optimism, right? That's kind of, you know, one of my core beliefs, you know, be positive. Um, but I'll say this on Clifford. So obviously it goes down and it, the optics could not be any worse. I mean, they really can't. You fired him, what, four years ago. You bring in James Borrego. James Borrego's here. You extend him the, you know, in August before you fire him. And what was it? April, May, whenever it was. Eight months later, yep. Yeah, and then you hire Kenny Atkinson, which I liked at the time. Then he backs out. And then, you know, you're kind of, what do I do, right? And then you go back and hire the same coach that you fired, you know, four years ago to, you know, everybody knows how that story is. So the optics couldn't be any worse. Um, And, you know, and rightfully so, a lot of people, you know, gave the Hornets organization a hard time for that. But, But when I think about it practically, and I, I think a lot of people, you hear a lot of people kind of talk this after, you know, they sit on a little bit and kind of think about how it may play out. For me, what the Hornets needed most in a coach, you know, with that young group that they have, they need a commander in that locker room, somebody that's not going to take no junk, you know, um, and, and really just have that um, be able to, to hold his players accountable and, and hopefully get them to play defense. And if you look at Steve Clifford's career as a head coach, um, well, he's been the most successful head coach in Hornets history as far as his resume. Uh, He also brought the Orlando Magic to the playoffs as well. So he brought the Magic and the Hornets to the playoffs, two teams that are historically not that great. And he did it with rosters that really weren't as good as the talent he has on this roster now. Uh, When you have LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, fingers crossed, pray that we can get Gordon Hayward We'll just say 60 games and hope we'll say the play-in or the playoffs. Um, P.J. Washington, Mark Williams, who was a pick I loved. I mean, the skill set he has, we've needed that skill set for yep. what Bill ne- never has my entire limit, life. A, a closer match between what a team needs, the draft pick that they have, uh, where they are in the draft. It, like Everyone was mocking Mark Williams to Charlotte from, I feel like, April. From the minute the the final four kind of finished and people started doing drafts, it was just like, yeah, my one to Charlotte. And it, I said really early on, it makes complete sense. Yeah. I, I mean, and even following – so I grew up a UNC fan. I told you I went to ECU. So I feel like me personally, I had to back off that a little, right? But I'm still a big – you know, I still follow UNC. Still, I still consider myself a fan of UNC basketball. So throughout all year, you know, watching UNC, watching Duke play – all while at the same time watching the Charlotte Hornets play and knowing what we need needed. Even as a guy that grew up as a diehard UNC fan, I watch Mark Williams out there. I'm like, oh, if we could just get this guy on our roster today, that would help exponentially. So I'm really excited, you know, the, the type of player he's going to be and hopefully he can grow into being. Uh, you know, obviously there are some concerns there. But to get back to our original point, uh, 
the potential of the roster along with, you know, Steve Clifford's uh, resume as a coach and what he's done with, with rosters that, you know, are mostly average. I'm excited to see what he can do. Optics, again, optics couldn't get any worse. But in practicality, I think he's got a chance to have some success. Now, granted, if things go sideways early, I don't think people or the fan base are going to be very kind to him, but we'll see how it plays out. That's all we can do. So where are you scoring then in, in your confidence levels for Steve Clifford? Steve Clifford. <laughs> one to five. One to five. Five maximum, one minimum. I'll just go with a three. Because even back then, even before he was fired originally, just listening to him in press conferences, he just seems to know ball. He loves the game. And, and I just like the voice he has. I think he can come in and command that locker room, which is the main thing I was looking for in a coach when we were going through that process. I wanted Darvin Ham as my number one. Obviously, he saw Los Angeles Lakers. I get it, right? I get it. Um, and then Kenny Atkinson, I thought, was was a great fit. After Ham went, Atkinson was my uh, the second guy I wanted. So I was ecstatic about that. And then, you know, of course, we got that news, and I was like, oh. This this couldn't get much worse. And then yeah, that was a dark that was a dark time for me that night. I was, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was at a wedding when that broke, and uh, things things spiraled quickly after. Yeah, that. May, maybe you had to have a, a a couple more drinks after you heard that news. Yeah, sure. absolutely. <laughs> um, I I will say like I don't understand why this team ever interviewed Mike D'Antoni twice. Yeah. <laughs> if they were yeah. never going to give him the job, I honestly this is how I think it went. Mitch Kupchak wanted Mike D'Antoni. He'd hired him before. Mm. He'd worked with him in LA. He was thought, as soon as it happened, right, that's fine. We're going to speak to Mike, who's our second choice, with Kenny Atkinson after Darvin Hum, Darvin Ham got the job. Let's speak to Mike. There was reports. Okay, you're going to speak to Mike. Okay, I wasn't expecting that to be announced any minute. I think Jordan comes in. Back to, back to Michael Jordan. He came in, and it was quite clear in the introductory press conference from Mitch and from Steve Clifford that... Michael was the one who put Steve Clifford forward. And I think Michael said to Mitch, you might like uh, Mike D'Antoni, but that's not what this roster needs. I enjoyed working with Steve Clifford when he was here previously. This is what this roster needs. I want to hire Steve Clifford. And I think Mitch Kupchak just essentially got his candidate was camp. So that's that's how I think it happened. Um, I went with the three as well. I think, look, there's an element of where you can say this team needs uh, defensive identity, um, now you've got someone of Lamelo Ball's style. Like he, he, it's hard to envision a bad offense with Lamelo, just because he's yeah. such a, a creative playmaker. You can play in transition so well. I think he will develop as a scorer in the upcoming years. Really, it's how can you mask his defensive efficiencies and also get him to play good defense, which is absolutely something that he needs to work on. Um, so it, it makes sense on paper. This team needs to get better defensively, but. Let's let's not pretend like Steve Clifford has never really coached a successful playoff team in the the history of the NBA as a, as a head coach. That is, um, yeah. he's generally someone who seems to kind of be like a good regular season coach and kind of limit mistakes. But when it gets to the the playoffs, he struggled to have never he's had a, a kind of a talented team, but he's struggled to to have a, an influence that way. His offense has generally been. Average or sub subpar, not like the most creative. We've come off James Borrego era where I think we got some really kind of creative offensive sets draw, drawn up. That's not what Steve Clifford is so much about. So I, I'm there with you. I'm a three. Um, normally, with a new head coach is hired, 
everyone's a four and a five because it's all like the good PR. You're envisioning all these things <laughs> it can do. I think this has to be the least excited about a head coach any fan base has been in the NBA for oh a long time. I I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. till the Kings hired someone. I I don't know. Um, <laughs> Luke Walton, maybe. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's been a while. But but yeah. So. That will do it for our for a segment on the the fan survey. Our thoughts on MJ, Mitch, and Cliff. Well, and um, before we before we close there, I just wanted to say one last thing about Cliff. The big thing with him, the biggest thing, if he has success to me, you got to get Lamelo Ball to buy in. If he buys in, the entire the rest of the team is going to buy in. If he doesn't buy in, he's a leader of that locker room. It's not going to go well for him. So that should be his number one priority. Uh, you know, obviously there's some other important things, but. If he can get Lamelo to buy in, I think he'll be all right here in Charlotte. And this is another one I think is like, how is Steve Clifford going to relate to Lamelo Ball? <laughs> and that is that is a, a million dollar question because they are two very different people. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think normally, like how you view the game and what your values are, that that is where it works. And and Cliff has generally managed good relationships. He's not really fallen out with all that many people bar maybe Malik Monk and Charlotte. So um, I I think it's a great challenge for him. And Lamella Ball is not going to say anything in any media availability because he just doesn't really speak freely. So we're not going to, we're not really going to know from that. Uh, We're just going to have to try and judge it through body language viewing um, on the Hornets Valley. And maybe that's a thing where, Keeping, you know, the original assistant coaching staff, you know, you've heard from multiple players that they have great relationships with those guys. Maybe that helps. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Okay. So that's going to do it for our segment on the fan survey. We're going to stop for a quick break and hear from our friends at Giraffe Kings. And then we're going to go on to looking at kind of some more future forecasting for what the Hornets need to do to help maximize the Mellow Bulls impact going forward. So let's, Stop for the ad break now. We'll see you after the break. College football is back. It's time to enjoy the tradition and the fun from the great office at DraftKings Sportsbook. Use promo code TBPN and new customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly. If that's not an affection, you can place the same game parlay for a shot at an even bigger prize. For example, you can bet UNC to beat App State. But maybe you think it'll be a low-scoring game, so you want to look at under three touchdowns. You can go ahead and do that. The possibilities are endless. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now using promo code TBPN. Bet $5 and get over $200 in free bets instantly. That's code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789. In New York, text HOPENY 467-369. One per new customer. Minimum £5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as $825 free bets. Join up to sign up to DraftKings now. Welcome back to the All Hornets podcast. We are talking about future forecasting of players here. Um, 
Eric, you, you came up with this topic. You wanted to speak to me about this. So I'm going to kind of hand it over to you to explain a little bit about how this discussion is going to look like and what some of the things we're going to be looking at. So, yeah, I mean, in my mind, my ultimate goal as someone that follows the Hornets is I want to win. That's just who I am. No matter what it is, I want to win. I don't want to compete for fourth or fifth or whatever it may be. I understand at times that can be how the NBA business goes, right? You know, obviously the almighty dollar, right? You got to make your money. to. It's still a business at the end of the day. But for me, I want to win. So when I think about that, that the next thought I have is, well, okay, we have Lamella Ball. We have our six, seven point guard. That's set in stone, assuming that he resigns, uh, right? So what do we need to put around him to not only win, but also entice him to sign that extension and have him here for, you know, the next 10, 15 years? Um, so going off that, for me, it's like, well, what, what are the archetypes of players that we need around him? For me, we have some young guys that are in play. Um, that that I think are can serve a, a good role and, and play around Lamelo, but obviously there's still some holes there. So that's kind of this conversation. That's what I want to talk about. What type of players do we need around Lamelo Ball to get us competing? We'll just say for top four in the East on, on a year in year out basis. So that's kind of where I'm headed with this. Um, so let's look at players on the roster at the moment. If you're projecting forward to a what we're talking, you know, a a conference finals level sort of team. What players do you think currently on the roster will kind of match and mesh? And we're projecting forward. We're not talking about next year here. We're talking three, four, five, six years down the line. Which of the players on the current roster do you think could be part of, of that team? So for starters, obviously Lamelo, right? But going off that, past that, this is where the conversation gets interesting. So you know, we have a lot of players that haven't even gotten to their second contract yet. We have probably one of the younger rosters in the league. Um, for me, those guys, P.J. Washington's number one on that list. I love P.J. Washington. I love what he's about. I love his game. Uh, obviously, he can stroke it from three. Um, last year, he he showed that he can be – and you know, somewhat of an elite defender as well. He's a versatile defender. He can guard all types of players. In the NBA, that's kind of what you want. You want switchable guys. And I always – I remember this vividly last season. He was out with COVID, I think. And when he was out with COVID, he was watching the games, right? And he would kind of live tweet here and there while he's watching the games. And I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, okay, I kind of saw something. I know what we need. And I, I kind of bookmarked that in my mind when I saw him tweet that. And when he came back, I mean, he was always a solid defender, but it just seemed like he took it to the next level when he came back. And he also was ready to accept his role, you know, as he came back, even at the beginning of the season. But after that, he accepted his role as he was a defender. He needed to bang down low, get boards. But if you look at when he came into the NBA, he's really an offensive player. You know, he's a three-point shooter, uh, maybe can put it on a deck a little. I mean, obviously, he's not elite there. But to me, it's just his toughness, his intangibles as well. I mean, you just love what he brings to the team. He obviously shows that he's willing to morph his role. His ego isn't too big where, no, I need the ball. He, he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And a stretch four in the NBA that can switch and play defense, I think any team in the NBA would love to have a guy like that on their roster. So I, I agree that I think any team would like to have PJ on the roster. 
Are, are you talking about as a starter here? Or are you just talking about like on the team in some some sort of role? For me, when I, when I talk about PJ, it's not like okay, Lamelo is the one. PJ is the second star. That that's not what I mean. I mean, you obviously you got to bring in some other pieces. To me, like the main thing the Hornets need for the future is a wing, like a six 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 seven six eight wing, right? But to me, PJ slots in as a great like. What what I say, he he will be a superstar in his role. So as a guy that plays a four that can knock down threes, stretches the court for you, and can also play small ball five and is willing to kind of morph into any role, I think he's a guy that could be a piece to a championship team. I see a role for him. That's kind of what I'm talking about with P.J. Not like he's going to be the second star or anything along those lines. You see, I didn't have P.J. on my list. I'm just gonna be honest. He, okay. he wasn't. He wasn't on my list. I. I think. Look, there's obviously a way he could get there, but for my my biggest issues with PJ kind of talking about like high leverage playoff games. I think one he he lacks a little bit of size. Okay, and we we sure. I know we're talking about the NBA getting smaller, but we've really seen in the last couple of years has been a bit of a shift um, where the teams are playing big and like he's. Yes, he's six seven, but we're talking about when we've seen him guard the likes of Embiid and and play Jokic. He's just been swallowed up by those sort of guys. Now, if he's playing power forward, some of that's kind of like taken away. It's not quite as big of a big of an issue, but that that still has some worries for me. And then the other thing is just the inconsistency. And I think that's the biggest thing from PJ. He has been a, a consistently inconsistent player. I think nothing sums up better than when he scored 40-plus points against the Kings, and I think the next night he was like 2 of 12. And he just never seems to be able to put together a consistent run of games, 20, 30, 40 games. He's either kind of hitting all his threes or he's missing all of them, and he's like one for eight. I don't understand why it is. And I think when you're talking about a starting-level player, you just need to – that's the difference between a lot of these bench players and starters in the NBA. You need to have a level of consistency there. Um, So – yeah, I think for me, the the like coupled with the size and lack of um, inconsistency is the defensive rebounding as well. Um, he has not been a good defensive rebounder, and we know how big that is in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I think he has to play power forward going forward for me long term. Uh, I think we saw him play much better playing power forward towards the end of last year, and he just became he was just like a spot up three point shooting five for like the first two-thirds of last season, which I, I really didn't like how he was used. Um, so I wouldn't have PJ on my list just because I think the little bit of limited defensive upside, the inconsistency, and the lack of size in the playoffs, which I think could potentially be exposed. But I, he'd 100% be in, the, in a rotation, I think, for that sort of team. I just seem uh, not as... I think he's like a Grant Williams type, right? Grant Williams played a role on the Celtics, like mostly off the bench. Ideally, he'd be an off the bench player, not a starter for you. And that's that's what I see PGS, not as a kind of starter next to Lamelo of that of a potential future, you know, conference final level Hornets team. Yeah, where I would push back on that a little is, you know, kind of when you were in there, you were talking about defensively, he can't bang with guys like Embiid or Jokic on a consistent basis. Well, that kind of just goes back to our roster deficiency. 
the reason he had to bang with guys like that, we had Mason Plumley and then who? PJ. And PJ was, you know, there, there's a lot of numbers out there. I don't have them on me right now. I can't read them to you right now. But I know it's been well documented that when PJ played the five, uh, you know, we had pretty good success last year. Um, but yeah, to your, but the part where I will agree with you, yeah, he's not going to be a five, right? Like a, on a consistent basis, but when he can give you spot minutes there and then start at the four, I think he's got plenty of sides at the four to, um, you know, to play defense and, you know, stretch a four. And that's where, you know, the next guy that would be on my list, Mark Williams, where that kind of plays into PJ and kind of how these, these pieces of the puzzle fit together. You have Mark at the five to handle, you know, the, the main rim protector and just, you know, that interior force. Uh, Mark Williams, obviously, he's just huge. He, he's 7'2", what, 240. There's like 5% body fat. Um, you know, seems to be a high IQ player. Uh, but like we talked about earlier, he just kind of fills that role that we we haven't had for so long, a player like that. And a guy coming in like that, to me, is going to help P.J. It takes some pressure off P.J. So P.J. can kind of just freely play in his more and play a little bit more free instead of having to go match up with guys like Embiid and, and the two-time MVP, the Joker. Yeah, I, I think you, it'll be really interesting to see how it goes with P.J. this year because it looks sure. like he's going to get to play a lot of power forward. Yeah, Clifford likes to play big positionally, so I think you will see P.J. – Almost strictly used at the four. Um, I, I think the other thing that I did mention before, but I meant to, was his high foul rate as well. Like, players who foul a lot in the playoffs, one, just don't stay on the floor, and two, like, you don't want to be in the bonus in the playoffs, the team being the bonus. But like you said, a lot of those fouls are picked up because he's often trying to check bigger guys. So they're kind of the PJ-Mark pairing. I, I also have Mark on my list. It's a lot easier to have someone on your list when you've never seen them play an NBA game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because There's nothing you, but sunshines and rainbows. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, I, I understand the, the deficiencies of Mark Williams is like, well, he can't do anything with the ball himself. So you have to essentially put the ball next to the rim for Mark Williams to score. Because uh, outside of that, the jump shot might come. Maybe if buts, like I'm not banking on it. But you have Lamelo Ball, and that's why I think Mark Williams makes so much sense because he can, you know, catch him over the top, slips to the rim, bounce passes, drive him to the hoop. You know, Mark's got pretty good hands too, and like I think he led the NCAA in field goal percentage and dunks yeah, I think last it was season, seventy-two like percent or something. Yeah. So, like that. and that was because he was playing around the likes of Paolo Banquero, yeah. AJ Griffin, Wendell Moore, these guys who were. You know, obviously just dishing him up and giving him easy baskets. And I think Lamelo could be fantastic with that. I think Mark needs to work on his screening to help free Lamelo up because he's going to see a lot of attention, point of attack defense. And Mark is still a pretty kind of thin guy for 7'2". I'd like to see him put on a little bit more size and brawn with that. So I, I think PJ playing next to someone like Mark, he's never done that before. He's, he's always played yeah. next to, um, I don't know, if it's a Mason Plumley. Or Cody uh, Bismarck Biombo, Cody Zeller. He, he's never played like a, a real kind of paint lob target big man. So I, I do agree it'll be really interesting to see how PJ, PJ goes this year. I do worry long term if there's enough offensive skill between Williams and PJ for your like entire front court. Like PJ is very much a, a spot up shooter. Um, 
He doesn't have much else kind of off the bounce scoring. We already talked about Mark Williams. He doesn't have any. So you're talking about a lot of load in your other three positions of those two are in there. Yeah. But I, I can see I can see the world. You kind of you kind of broke up a little there, but um, yeah. I mean, Williams, PJ, obviously, you know, I buy into those guys. It's a, it's a big year for PJ. Uh, it's a pivotal year. You know, last year with Miles Bridges, he made that big jump. Uh, Hopefully this year we see the same thing for PJ. Uh, I'm projecting it's going to happen. Some of that could be that op- optimist in me, right? But, you know, I'm excited to see how it plays out. Um, kind of round out guys on the roster that I think are definitely could be a piece, right? And this isn't like a major piece or anything. But Cody Martin, just having a utility guy like that, that can, you know, pass a little bit. Obviously, you know, it's well documented. He, he's a pretty darn good perimeter defender. Um he can dunk. He can. He's not the best three-point shooter, but he can hit him if, if he's open. He just gives you a little bit of everything. Uh, and I really like that contract he signed that that the Hornets signed him to this offseason. You lock him up, you know, three, four years. I think it was four years, wasn't it? Four years, thirty-two mil. I think maybe. a team option on the fourth year. Yeah, so, and yeah. and kind of like we talked about earlier, uh, the cap is they projected to go up big time. So. You know, year three, year four of that deal, him as just a, a kind of rotational guy off the bench, I think he's a great piece to have um, around the mellow ball moving forward. Can, can I share with you a, a very a very spicy take I've been sitting on? I've, I've not shared this with, with anyone else yet. You are, you're the first person I'm just testing this with. And I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the roster. I'm looking at the Hornets re-signing Cody Martin. I'm looking, how's this? Hornets team going to improve their defense? Steve Clifford, what does he value? I wonder if there will be a world at some point where Steve Clifford starts Cody Martin instead of Terry Rozier. And Terry Rozier goes into a sixth man role. I, I, mean, I know it's, I it sounds be crazy. Surprised. It, I wouldn't Steve, be surprised. Steve Clifford does not care about... Yeah, he does not care about how much money people make. He's going to want to help this defense. Cody Martin is like the most Steve Clifford player you could create on paper. Um, like just writing in terms of skill set, approach, everything like that. I think he fits quite nicely next to LaMelo. Um, I, I just wonder like if there's an injury of Terry, that few games, Cody comes in and does well. And then that kind of gives Steve Clifford an avenue to get to go down that path. It'd be hard because Terry's a leader of this team, but I just think when when you look at the the balance of the roster, especially with the the lack of back, kind of backup ball handler of James Booknight is still not ready, yeah. that second unit could really struggle. And Terry Rozier could go into that kind of combo guard role off the bench, where he's still playing twenty eight minutes per game, but he's he's not starting, and he could even finish some games. But it's just something that there's always things that happen over the course of a season right. which you just never ever see coming. And that's just one of those things that I'm just just filing it away, just filing it away to maybe circle back to at some point. Yeah, I I, I would not be totally shocked at all because I mean that like you talk, like you said, Lamelo Ball, we're gonna be able to play offense at least you know I would say at at least an average rate if we can just get that defense to say we'll just say around 15 middle of the road in the league. I think that would that should be enough to, I mean to at least win 40 games without a Miles Bridges, but we'll see how it plays out. Um, 
to me now, I kind of wanted to move forward. Those are kind of the three guys I had in my head that, you know, kind of fit that that may be a, a piece of the puzzle long term. I didn't know. I didn't want to cut you off. Did you have anybody else left on your list? I'll, I'll do a quick shout out to JT Thor. He was in in my running. I He's very much still a, what, what he could be down the line right Absolutely. now. But you're talking about someone who has got the defensive mindset and the physical tools to probably guard the, some of the best players in this league. Um, he's not there yet. He is still on way, but he has the tools and that's what he wants to be known for. I also think the three-point shot, that there's something there. It's coming along. If you're talking about like an elite wing defender with elite size and length, um, somebody who can stretch the floor, that generally finds a role in the playoffs somewhere. Yeah. Uh, the stroke looks good, man. The stroke yeah, looks good. You are just talking about a, a lot more kind of skill development, needs to be a lot less mistake prone, needs to be more impactful yeah. defensively. But yeah. if we're talking about guys on the roster projecting forward five years, he's still super young. That That's a guy. But but that's it. Let's move on to the, to the kind of the next step that you wanted to. Okay. And, and last thing before we move forward, I didn't have Booknight or Kai on there. Again, it's just young no. guys. They got to grow into it. I got to see it first. It's not that I'm giving up on them, right? But I just got to see it. Uh, but moving forward, the next part I wanted to go into was guys and the archetypes that we need next to LaMelo to get to that point of kind of, you know, being that top four in the East. To me, it's just a wing. I think this is an obvious thing to a lot of people. We need a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 type guy, which right now it kind of sounds like I'm describing Gordon Hayward, right? He just can't stay on the floor. Obviously, he's got all his injuries piled up. But to go a little bit deeper into the archetype, he's got to have that size, right? But he's also got to be able to defend because as as well documented, LaMelo Ball isn't the best defender in the NBA. His lateral quickness is – I don't know if it's just he's not trying hard enough or if he just doesn't have the lateral quickness. Maybe it's a mixture of both. Um, but to me, you got to have a wing that, one, can play defense. And, two, he's got to be able to put pressure on the rim. And, and that's where Miles Bridges really helped this roster – I know I think I uh, Israel, you know, a guy, part of our All Hornets team. Um, yep. I, I saw him on Twitter the, uh, the last few days talking about we just don't have a ton of guys without Miles and Bridges that are really known for slashing and getting to the rim. And, and he has a point, you know, without Miles, you look at the roster and you have some good players, but nobody that is really going to scare other teams, you know, where they can just kill them all night, you know, blowing past their defender and, you know, dunking on somebody. Um, so to me, it's just, a guy that's a score, just a two-way wing that can do a little bit of everything. To me, a prime example of somebody like this will be Jalen Brown. Um, six, seven, you know, super athletic, plays great defense. Um, Jalen Brown, he's not the best ball handler, but that's why a guy like him would fit so well next to LaMelo because obviously you have LaMelo ball for that. And Jalen can give you, you know, some secondary ball handling, but he doesn't have a ton of weight on his shoulders when it comes to that. And he will become an unrestricted free agent, Jalen Brown. It's guaranteed because he won't sign an extension with Boston because yep. Boston basically can't pay him. Uh, they, they can't extend him to like the max that he could earn. Um, yeah, I remember I remember reading up on something about this, that he signed an extension and the way the CBA works. Correct. He, even if they wanted to re-sign him, it, it wouldn't be the amount of money that you know he deserves based off his play. So, yeah, I, I think I did see something along those lines. Yeah. And there's, there's been some rumblings at times that he's 
Uh, he doesn't like seeing his name thrown into trade rumors. They just tried to potentially trade him this past summer um, for Kevin Durant, which we can't have made him popular. And it'll be interesting to see how that continues to kind of uh, emerge over the, the coming years. But I, I agree, he would be a, a fantastic target. And if he wants to go somewhere where he would more kind of be like a a kind of a co number one with Lamelo. Right. Charlotte could be a good place for that if he's doesn't want to kind of be in Jason Tatum's shadow, whatever it is in Boston. Then sometimes people just want to go try something different. I think I think it's a great name who would fit really well with this this team and the roster. Um, you know, getting someone of that caliber coming to Charlotte always always feels unlikely, right? But um, right. I, I that's why the next year or two are so important because there needs to be positive vibes that free agents yep. want to come here. Cause I feel like there has been the last couple of seasons, you know, we've seen some guys come here. Kelly Oubre came here. Um, Gordon Hayward chose to came here. Um, we, we've seen some of that positivity, but with everything that's happened this year, you can guarantee players and agents are going to be, they're going to have to, Charlotte are going to have to prove it all over again to people yeah. that well, it's, a, it's a good place to end up. And that's a good thing about LaMelo Ball, too. He's, he just turned 21, what, yesterday or the day before? I think at some point in his career, hopefully it's with Charlotte, but there's going to be guys wanting to come play with him. But it's just, is it going to be in Charlotte? Or, you know, do, do we have the infrastructure in place where, where guys, even with LaMelo Ball, are going to want to come in and play? Um, but, yeah, uh, a guy like Jalen Brown. So somebody like that, just a two-way guy at the two – Oh, I would love to see that with a metal ball. Nothing would make me happier. So uh, I've got to look at some free agents here. Who? Yep. So uh, and I, I want to. I made a list of seven characteristics I think players playing with a mellow we really need to look for, and three of them we've got bingo. Okay, uh, positive defenders, rim pressure, size of position. We, we we match up on those. Couple of things I want to add in here: half court scoring. Melo is great in transition. He's a good shooter. But if you're talking about six seconds on the shot clock, winding down, can you make a quality look, whether it's a pull-up, drawing a foul on the lane, finishing tough at the rim, that's where Lamelo isn't quite as good right now, kind of being like a go-to guy to make his own shot. So I think someone to take a little bit of that scoring pressure off. I think we need vocal leadership because Agreed. from what I've seen from Lamelo, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be the head of the snake in terms of like the guy yeah. speaking to people in yeah. the huddle and telling everyone. Now he's super young. He could definitely yeah. develop that. But just judging from what we know, what we see, he seems to be more of like a happy-go-lucky guy um, who everyone loves and he's he brings really great positive energy to a team, which is yeah. essentially you have guys like that. I don't know he's if he's the holding everyone super accountable type. So I think you'd want to try and get that as well. I think, again, with that probably comes someone who's more experienced. I know everyone always wants to sign everyone who's like 22, 23 years old so they can all sail into the sunset as like one core who played together for 10 years. It's just not the way the NBA works. I think you need to get some more experienced players in here and like a protector as well. Like LaMelo, when it gets to the playoffs, is going right. to get hit on screens uh, on fouls, like he's a pretty thin guy. Um, like we we need a protector in here. We we don't want to be a soft team at all. Yeah. You look at those Warriors, those Celtics teams. They're freaking tough teams. Like they have guys yeah. on there: Kevon Looney, Grant Williams, 
Marcus Smart. They're going out there and they're really fighting. Gary Payton. Uh, we, we need some of those guys. So those are some of the other characteristics I was looking at. And I was looking a little bit sooner term in terms of free agents for next year. And I thought there are a couple of guys who actually stood out to me who I'd be interested to get your thoughts on because they mm. are wings, which you mentioned you think that's what we want to surround the mother with. And I'm gonna I'm gonna serve you up my I'm gonna say my least preferred option out of the two right now, which is Harrison Barnes, um, who's gonna be a free agent, mm-hmm. 31 next summer. Again, we talk here, veteran presence, uh, positive defender, good size of position, not necessarily the rim pressure guy, but is a vocal leader. Um can be a kind of more go-to half-court ISO scoring we've seen at times in his career, um, but has playoff experience, has played in some massive playoff games back with the Warriors. Um, Harrison Barnes, someone that catches your eye? When I was going through the list earlier, free agents, I saw his name and in my head I was like, but it's just 31 you know, he won with the Warriors. He won with Steph Curry. You know, that's awesome. But, you know, he's over there with the Kings. It doesn't – he doesn't seem to be making a huge difference. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. I think he could be a good piece. I do think he could be a good piece. King, The Kings stink really doesn't help, does it? Anyone who right. plays the Kings, you're not like, yeah, I want to sign them, really, right. generally. Right. Ever. Yeah. I mean, Harrison Barnes is a good player. I told you earlier, you know, UNC fan, you know, UNC basketball fans. I mean, I, I've been a Harrison Barnes fan for some time, but – he just doesn't have that explosion that I need that, that next to LaMelo. He's kind of like in a way similar to LaMelo. He's got the size kind of, but he just isn't really going to put a ton of pressure on the rim, you know, but he does is that kind of veteran leader voice in the, in, in the locker room. I think he's a good piece, but I don't think he's a foundational piece, which is kind of in my mind what I'm thinking, but a plug and play guy. I mean, I, I would be happy w- with uh, adding him to the roster, as long as we didn't overpay him, you know. Okay. Uh, who else has stood out to you on Anexia's list? And I'm curious to see if you're going to say if you're going to say my number one guy. So do you want me to say my number one guy? I have. Well, I have you, a... you can throw out who who you okay. you can throw out who you want, but I'm curious to see. I've I've got five others on my four others on my list, but a kind of a clear cut number one. I think. I had four on my list. Three of them are free agents. One will be a trade. One we number one we already went over was Jalen Brown. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go. I'll start with the bottom of my list right now. I'm not. I'm not crazy bullish on this guy, but he he's the kind of archetype you need. He's not going to be that veteran voice. Uh, but fourth on my list was Cam Reddish, six eight. You know, pretty athletic, can shoot the ball a little bit. He just got to grow up into the league, you know, learn the intricacies of the league. Obviously, he's already bouncing around, which isn't a great sign, you know. Uh, but that archetype of player, 6'8", you know, can can attack the rim, can shoot the ball. Um, and kind of like we were talking about earlier uh, in the podcast, a guy like Aladipo, he, he was on his third team before he ever really blossomed into, you know, the guy he was in the NBA. Um, so a guy like that I think would be worth taking a flyer on. Uh, but I, I believe he's a restricted free agent. But he he's number four on my list right now. Not going to lie. Not my list. No interest in Cam Reddish. But, <laughs> but this is good. Uh, right. uh, I'm going to give you uh, my, my pool of guys, okay? Uh, Miles Turner, which we don't need to talk about because 
every Hornets fan has talked and thought about Miles Turner in every possible way for the last three years. But but Miles Turner, DeAndre Hunter, who's currently with the Hawks, who's had mm. a couple of kind of injury hit seasons and, and really kind of wasn't as good last year as the year before, but definitely in terms of like on ball defense would definitely offer probably the Hornets best wing defense straight away. But he's really the Hawks only wing at the moment. And I, I don't see them letting him go, but I believe the contract extension talks aren't anywhere close there. And then Dylan Brooks, who plays for the Grizzlies. Um, again, you're seeing a kind of the common theme here with the wings. Defense first, can score a little bit. Uh, but guys mm-hmm. in kind of like their mid-20s. And like I, I could have seen Dylan Brooks playing a role in that Warriors the Celtics series. Not a big one, but he's he's in there, he's scrapping, he's a bit of the protector. Um, like he'll take on the tough guard assignments. Yeah. He's super streaky as a scorer, but um, he, his usage went really high this year. They almost used him like point guard at times. When he had a lower usage, I think he would be in Charlotte. He was actually a, a perfectly kind of reasonably efficient player. And he wasn't quite the, the kind of chucker that he's, I feel he's turned into the last year or two. So those are some kind of like, we're talking fourth or fifth starters with these sort of guys, but there's some people yeah. who could be available next off season. Yeah, I had four guys on my list. Number three was Dylan Brooks. So, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of like, w- yeah, what you were talking about earlier brings toughness to the group. Obviously, he can hit the three ball. Uh, playoff experience, what is he, like six seven, like 230. Um, obviously, you get into, you know, there's probably a decent chance here he signs with Memphis, but they're going to have to pay Ja. Well, I think they already did pay Ja. I'm not sure on that, but I think they did. But yeah. Ja, Jaron Jackson. Yeah, they just signed him to a big extension. They've just given out uh, quite a lot of guaranteed money this offseason. Yeah. Tyus Jones. Um, yeah. As well. So there's a yeah. chance he goes back to Memphis, but he is a guy I look at his name and I'm like, I think it's realistic that he could end up going somewhere else. I agree. Um, when I was looking at the list, you mentioned DeAndre Hunter. I like DeAndre Hunter. I loved him even coming out, watching him at Virginia, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, shoot the ball, play defense. He's kind of had some injury issues in the NBA. Mm. Um, hasn't really been able to stay as healthy as you would like. But he is a guy, if we if Charlotte could get him, I would definitely be pretty ecstatic to have him. He's another young guy. I mean, we're not even 100% sure who he's going to be in the NBA. But at worst, he's a 6'8 guy that can hit a three ball and defend. And you can never have enough of those guys. So I, I would love to have DeAndre Hunter, a guy like that. And, um, and his rebounding weakness, like he's one of the all-time worst rebounders for someone his size. The good news is you're on a team with Lamelo, who is yeah. a fantastic defensive rebounder for a guard. So that helps mask that, that a little bit. Uh, my number one free agent, and then I'll go on to a couple of potential trade targets. And I, I, I don't know if you're going to have this guy, but it's Andrew Wiggins. Oh, we yeah. just... We've just seen him play the role in Golden State in the finals that he could just come to Charlotte and play a little bit more, but 28 years old, 38.5% from three of the last two years, was yep. great on defense, was literally guarding uh, Jason Tatum. Make, yeah, making uh, life horrible for him. Great defense rebounding. When he gets there, he's actually a really good rim finisher. He's maybe not quite the vocal leader. He's known to be quite a kind of a quiet guy. And I think that's almost why it's worked so well in Golden State because you've got Steph, you've got Clay, you've got Draymond, uh, you've got Iggy, who are kind of like the, the emotional leaders of that team. So doesn't quite tip that box. 
but in terms of that that age, the the if he wants to take a, a bigger role on a on a team, he would still be getting kind of fed the ball. The problem with Wiggins in Minnesota was he was like giving the ball, like do something, which right. that wouldn't be the case in Charlotte. Lamella would be able to get him the ball in good spots. Yeah. Uh, he could bring some of that championship pedigree. Um, Andrew Wiggins, I think for me, is like the clear cut free agent target for next year if the, if yeah. Charlotte are going to have good level of cap space. Yeah, I mean. He was the number one guy on my list as far as there free go. agents go outside of Jalen Brown. This was not this was not done that we knew. This is this is us live on air. So we both have Andrew Wiggins as our number one. So I'm glad we're uh, we're synced up on this. Yeah, I mean six eight, what maybe like two twenty, right? Unbelievably athletic. I remember when he was in high school, number one prospect, the hype he had. You know, he was at Kansas with Joel Embiid, and then he uh, he went to Minnesota, but. Minnesota was a lot like Charlotte for the for the longest time, right? Just couldn't have any success, you know, at all. And you bring in a, a 19, 20-year-old and say, okay, save us in a man's league. I mean, that's going to be a tough assignment for anybody. Even when he was there, he was putting up big numbers. I remember when he got traded to the Warriors. I could not believe it because I – I, you know, Wiggins, he's not the one right, but he's still a 6'8 guy that can shoot, play defense, which at the time he wasn't, you know – touted as a great defender but he's obviously shown he can do that now and just crazy athletic um i think there is a chance that he could say with the warriors right but also you know they got a ton of young prospects they're obviously paying a ton of guys already you know they're in the luxury tax if he did hit the market say bridges is gone you know we're not paying bridges um you know it could be a guy i mean maybe maybe they throw a uh, money at him maybe we move off hayward open up some more cap space it could be a guy that's in play uh, and, and, and yeah, and his fit with Lamelo would be awesome for the Warriors. And this brings us on to some some to a couple of trade targets on my list. They if they re-sign Wiggins, they always have to trade one of. They're not going to trade Steph. They have to trade one of Clay or Draymond Green. Just just financially, it's the luxury tax penalty would be so incredibly huge. It would be beyond anything anyone has ever seen in the history of the NBA. Yeah. Now, out of if curiosity, were, if you were if you were the Warriors in that situation, who would you get rid of? Oh, gosh, it's so hard. Um, I probably well the the one that I think they would need the least is Clay. Yep, but you'd probably get the least return for him in the trade. So then you get into complications. But I I'd probably say try and move Clay. Um. If I was a savvy team, and I know this would probably be unpopular, but I think Draymond Green, if they said we want Wiggins back and Draymond is is not the player that he used to be, I think Draymond would be, have a huge impact on this team. I think his box scores would be pretty average and terrible, but I just think like his the level he holds people accountable, accountable he's a winning player. I think that like the intensity he would bring and demand out of other people even if he wasn't the player that he was this past season, that's something that I would just love to see in Charlotte. And I think you could also then look to use Lamelo in some of the ways. Like Lamelo is such a good shooter from deep as well. You can try and use him in some of the ways similar to Steph. Yeah. Now, no one is Steph, but if Draymond's there being like, he, he could help him get into some of his positions that Steph used to get in. The, the chemistry they used to have in the, the pick and rolls, the pick and pops. That'd be great. So I think Draymond Green is another guy who would be a really interesting target 
if the Warriors were looking to, to move off. And then the last one, Pascal Siakam, again, another kind of like good defender, uh, can score in the interior, has like an interesting little post game. Um, like I think he was someone else who like would be a good half court partner for Lamelo. He's when the the game slows down a little bit. Um, he's had like inconsistent seasons, but there's been some rumors over the last couple of seasons that the Raptors might look to move it off him. Um, so those kind of couple of trade targets that I think maybe fit as like good long term fits next to Lamelo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all those guys I think would be great. I don't know. If, you never know what happens. I don't know if Golden State would move off Draymond just because he is that the emotional leader of that team, right? Yeah. I'm not the biggest Draymond fan, but you can't deny what he does for that team, the intangibles, the leadership that he brings, you know, the, the voice of the locker room. He would be a great addition for our locker room, definitely. Just four championships, you know, getting guys to understand what it takes to play winning basketball. It would be awesome. Um yeah, as far as trade targets, I didn't have a ton to go over. To me, the main one's Jalen Brown. That's just like my dream, right? Like, and, and I don't expect there's a very high probability it ever happens, right? But just a guy like that next to Melo, just there, there's no telling what I'll do. To get a guy like that, right? But, I can uh, see you getting a little hot and sweaty just thinking about it. <laughs> I know. Just give me the six seven guy that just throws down ferocious dunks and plays great defense. Well, that's kind of in a way my hope for book night. But when I look at book night, he's a little too slim. And also he, he's, a, he's a little short. And he has a long wingspan, but, you know, it, it's a process. He's a young guy. Um, we, we've not mentioned him, but Donovan Mitchell, because we've already talked about it in other podcast episodes. Right. Donovan Mitchell, I do think Matt ticks some of these boxes. And I'm kind of in the camp. Yeah. I actually wouldn't mind going all in for, for Donovan Mitchell. I, I would see the positives on paper why you could potentially take that risk. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's likely. It seems that New York are very much in the lead, but I'd, I'd definitely be on board with that. And I'm not normally someone to be like, yeah, trade everything for a, this guy who's right. disgruntled. That's not normally how I'm like, but for, for that particular one is, is of interest. Um, I think that pretty much just does it here. Um, considering, yeah. it, considering it's August, we've done amazing to go like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, but did you have anything else that you wanted to, to touch on here? Um, since you brought up Donovan, I'll just a quick hit on Donovan. Um, I know I, a while back, this was probably a month or so ago. I know we kind of had a round table, you know, with all Hornets, you know, talking about the possibilities at that time. I said, no, I wouldn't want to do it because it's going to cost too much. And I do kind of tend to, to still lean that way. But, you know, as the months go by, I think about it. A lot of the things we've covered in this conversation, putting pressure on the rim. Obviously, he can shoot the three, you know, on big volume. And and being that locker room presence, you know, that go-to voice, he would definitely fill that role. You know, he he seems to have those intangibles that you look for. So I'm not all the way out on Donovan, but just looking at what they got for Rudy Gobert, I would imagine Donovan is more valued on the NBA market, right? So it just scares me what we would have to give up for him. But I do think he would be a, a pretty good fit for a lot of the things that we've talked about next to Lamelo. Okay. Well, we will leave it there. Thank you very much all for listening. Please make sure you check out allhornets.com. Make sure you sign up to DraftKings using that promo code TBPN. Make sure you rate and review our podcasts. Um, that's that's it. We're asking you to do three things. You know, <laughs> we haven't got any more to ask. Um, 
thank you all for listening and we'll be back soon for uh, another episode on the all hornets podcast network eric thanks for having me on and uh yes, sir, thanks for coming on me. yeah and um yeah we will definitely have you on again to chat some time all right